This podcast is not intended to provide any investment advice. The opinions expressed here by either the hosts or guests do not necessarily reflect the views of PSA, Collectors Holdings, or any of their affiliates. Any discussion of collectible values in the past or present is not a guarantee of future performance. Hello and welcome back to another week of the PSA pod. Ryan Green, Steve Sloan, Jack Archer coming to you from the NBA Jam studio officially for the first time. Boom shakalaka. It's live. We are on fire. <laughs> I love it. This is awesome. We got a we got a space to spread out. We just need the arcade game. Like it's on delivery, right? From Amazon. It's coming. That's your job. So you uh, tell us. All right. I could Get use like that. a like a mini trampoline and, and like a <laughs> like a full blown court. That could be kind of fun. We too. do need some like nerf hoops on each end here. We do. We do. We're painting a visual visual scene for the for the listener here. Yeah, but. and as we go, you're gonna get to see this studio as it's developed out. We are very excited about it, but most of all, we're just excited to be coming to you here as things continue to evolve here on the collector's campus in Santa Ana. And we've got a ton to dive into today and we can't wait for all of it um we're talking cards we just we, we we've had so much fun the last few weeks here in our new setup and this week kind of like last week we want to dive into kind of the big you know the big news in the industry that's uh kind of unfolded since we've come to you last and we're going to start just like we did last week on in the nfl because this offseason just refuses to take a break I, are you guys like i'm kind of under the impression it's going to be like this all the way through training camp I hope so. I mean, this is this is the way the NFL's genius marketing is working, making it in a 365-day-a-year um, uh, campaign, basically. Just like there's always news in the NFL, which I, I eat it up. but And it's just happening out of nowhere. So last week, Tyreek Hill, all of a sudden, the Chiefs are rumored to be trading him, and literally like an hour later, he's a Miami Dolphin. I, I am so hyped for this. A, because I, I, I have a very hard time rooting for Patrick Mahomes for just personal reasons and, okay. and no specific reason but i just something about him just okay. kind of irks me and i i i've always i've always liked the dolphins i like their uniforms i've i've always rooted for for tua since he came to the league so i'm excited for him to have another weapon and that coach what he did with with debo samuel in san francisco utilizing tyree kill in a similar kind of way is going to be pretty exciting like all of the pieces you can kind of just see it it better work and, yeah. and they will know for sure if Tua is the guy after the end of the season oh yeah so uh, this just continues to create the massive shift in the AFC like I think the AFC is really starting to look like the NBA's Western Conference from the first part of this millennium where it was like an 80-20 split in terms of all the superstars being in one side of the league and you know there's a lot of fallout here across the board Jack you hit on a couple of those points we're going to dive in now your first reaction to this trade from a card market perspective, because there's a lot of ways this can go. Who wants to kind of start us off? Uh, for me, it was not buying his light blue prism PSA 10 on eBay for $275 when I was about to. Tua, uh, Tua we're talking about. Tua, yeah. Uh, I I saw uh, your Tua collection. You're obviously a, a Tua collector, and it got me kind of interested in like, maybe I should pick up one of his cards there was a lot of positive movement going on in Miami, and that was a card I was I was really zeroing in on. Uh, pretty low pop, even though it's a retail product, the light blue prism. Uh, and 
only $275, really, really hard 10 because of centering issues and mm -hmm. surface issues with that product. And uh, just a beautiful card. And I was just eyeing it for, I don't know, three, four, five days. And then this news happened and I go, oh my goodness, I need to jump on eBay and grab that card. And someone got it before oh. me. And it, two have sold since then, like close to $500. Oh, goodness. I, I, I'm a, just going to say I'm a Raiders fan, obviously, here. And I was so ready to put poor dirt on the Chiefs, right? And Mahomes <laughs> specifically. I had this whole take where I was going to say, oh, they're done. End of an era. Like Tyreek Hill even tweeted himself, end of an era. And I, was, I wanted that to be so true, but I just can't do it looking at everything happening in Kansas City, which it pains me inside. It really does. But listen, the Chiefs are going to be just fine. If you're a Mahomes collector, you're going to be just fine. The guy is a magician. Despite uh, Jack's ill will towards him, he's he's still the greatest football player, great, greatest younger football quarterback we have currently. So I'm going to say, you know, they have a ton of picks. They have, I think, four picks in the first two rounds. They'll find a replacement. After all, Tyreek Hill was a fifth round pick. It's mm -hmm. like it's not like this guy was a high high pedigree yeah. early draft pick. The the brass in Kansas City knows what they're doing. They'll find the weapons to complement Mahomes. The offense will continue to hum. They were four and one without the combination of Hill and and uh and Mahomes. So they're gonna be fine, unfortunately. Wide receivers come and go. And that's a big reason why the hobby in terms of football cards is so interested in quarterbacks. Yeah. Outside of Calvin Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, Randy Moss, everyone is focused on on quarterbacks. Well, I, I saw I saw I saw one former NFL player tweeting about it, and and I re I hadn't thought of it this way, and I want to see if you guys agree. He said, you know, Tyreek Hill is essentially the Steph Curry of the NFL. He has one asset that is so elite compared to everyone else in the game that when he's on the field, he changes the game. And he basically said, if you're the Chiefs, and that like you don't let that guy get out of your out of your franchise you don't let him get out of the building like that's someone who should be with you for the entirety of his prime do you think that's a fair like comparison do you think he's that like like you said nfl receivers can be a dime a dozen but is he that much of a game changer just with the threat of that speed i mean the stats say so he would he leads the nfl in touchdowns over 20 yards mm -hmm. and little things like that where you know if uh if mahomes is going to check it up hills fast enough to run under it and, and take it the rest of the way but I just know Andy Reid is a successful offensive guy. He's going to find ways to scheme and get Mahomes, who's like an elite NFL quarterback, into the end zone, like mm -hmm. with Hill or without him. So, again, if you're a Mahomes collector, I would just say, hold. It's fine. Like, you're going to be okay. Uh, there's plenty of run left, too. Because what, Mahomes is like 26 years old. He's not old. He's, he's super young relative to a lot of the other big names at the quarterback position in the NFL. So, uh, hold. It's all good. They picked up Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, a few other wide receivers, and they've always had those guys that everyone goes crazy about in daily fantasy because they might have like three touchdowns uh -huh. and 200 yards. And any of those guys are going to be able to pick up the slack in, in a big way when you have when you have Mahomes thrown to them. Yeah, and and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get on my soapbox here with Tua. You, as Jack mentioned, I'm a Tua collector. I was a huge fan of his at Alabama, so I told myself I was going to be collecting this guy when he ended up in the league. I have been. And now it's like, this is kind of, it, it, it bothered me a little bit how the move last week basically became a referendum on Tua. Like people were acting like these receivers are essentially too good for him. But this is a guy who threw to four first round picks in his time at Alabama. But again, like they, they that's not the only place where they've upgraded. They've upgraded the offensive line. They've upgraded. They've given him no excuses, basically. Like there's, if he can't play in the NFL, we're going to know sooner or later.
or much sooner than later. It's almost like a KC light situation with Kaseki, yeah. who's a great tight end, not at Kelsey's level, but still really great. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's as his athleticism is incredible. And then you got Waddle as well, which is oh yeah, he's another incredible route runner and, and just a fast uh, receiver as well. So Tua better bring it. So I hope you guys are right. I'm not on Tua. I'm I'm the anti Tua. <laughs> You got no skin in the game here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have no skin in the game either, and I'm probably not because his prices have taken off too much for for my company. That's just crazy to hear. But it's uh, it, it also shows you how kind of wild things can be in this hobby in terms of the market just you know peaking and valleying due to due to certain things, and that kind of leads us to what happened uh, Sunday night. I mean, because we can't have a hobby podcast this week and not talk about this. Ken Golden and and Drake made a massive splash crazy like it's the perfect the perfect follow-up to the earlier you know flawless break with drake yeah. where he wasn't on camera and here he is front and center oh my goodness being an incredible ambassador for the hobby he knew his stuff he was engaged he he was excited genuinely about the product it was great to see so the highlight of this break with uh ken golden and drake that was on instagram live thousands of people v- viewing this at once it just kind of kept gaining momentum was they opened an, uh, a previously an open box of 1986 Fleer basketball, which of course features so many iconic cards, but none more than the Michael Jordan rookie card, the Michael Jordan rookie card in many people's eyes. In this box, they get three Michael Jordan base rookie cards and three Michael Jordan stickers. There's one sticker per pack. So Steve, I was unfamiliar with this product from an, from a breaking standpoint because I'll be honest, I've never watched a lot of it get opened but I know that it, there's a lot of sealed product still out there. What's kind of the average for what people can expect for Jordan to come out? Cause six well, you, seemed like a lot. Yeah. Well, I'm going to stick with just with the rookie card number 57, not yeah. the sticker, but the, the average is about three per box. Okay. If you're unlucky, you might get two. If you're uh, incredibly lucky, you might get four, but it's typically around three, which is, you know, might be surprising to a lot of people. Um, the product, you know, at one point was on closeout, like only a couple of years after it was released and a ton of it was, it was ultimately destroyed in certain ways. But, wow. um, here we are a set that has so many hall of famers because of NBA licensing issues. You know, you had like a crowded class, almost like your F1, uh, 2020 product there. Yeah. It's like, if you could go equate to 86 Fleur basketball, because it's got Barkley, Elijah one, um, Chris Mullen, just so many names in addition to, to Jordan that kind of fill out the the ranks it makes it an incredibly fun pull or a fun break so yeah about three so drake was right on there the stickers were what surprised me getting three i i don't know i didn't know the ratios for the stickers going into it but it seemed like a great pull to have um to have six total overall it's a great picture of ken holding up the, the six at the end of it well, and and value wise you know i think at the top of the break ken said it's about a two hundred and seventy five thousand dollar box of cards for three jordan rookies you know the tough part is the grade, though. The tough part's the yeah. grade, but like that's a I I hate calling something two hundred seventy five thousand dollars a gamble, but it seems like a pretty good gamble that you're going to get at least one that's that's well, in really the, nice shape if the box has been taken care of. The Jordan ten pop for PSA is about three nineteen somewhere in there right now as of this recording. So okay, I mean you can tell by context the difficulty of the ten is is a real thing. So. Um, you are gambling to an extent to get that ten, but mm-hmm. we'll be. I mean, one of them looked really sharp. Um, one of the three, so we'll mm. see. I, I can say that the the break will make its way to PSA, which is yeah. is is great for for PSA in particular. The fact that uh, such a notable uh, event in the hobby history is going to be graded by by our company, which is 
awesome. Yeah, you mentioned the pop. That's about to change a little bit. So we'll um, see. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, the graders will make that determination. Well, the overall population. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah. want to say it's going to be a ten, but yeah, it'd be really cool if it is. It would be. So stay tuned with us on social, especially at PSA Card on Twitter and Instagram. We're going to be showcasing those cards as they come in. But you know, I, w- I want to talk about this as, and its impact for the hobby, Jack. Like, I think it's it's hard to sell, oversell what Drake being involved in the hobby means for for it overall. I mean, Drake has close to a hundred percent approval rating. Mm-hmm. I would say, just like in pop culture, yeah, and. I can't really imagine anyone who would be a better ambassador for the hobby than Drake. He he clearly loves sports. He has relationships with so many of the active players, especially in basketball. And I'm just really hyped that he's not only into this, but like into it. Like he's one of us. The way that he was smiling when when he hit that that the Penny Hardaway logo man was crazy. And one of my favorite things about the whole night was that he was sort of dismissive about some cards or players that he's not particularly high on. Every time he pulled a Lamelo, he was just kind of lukewarm about it. Isn't that crazy? But then he hit that he hit that one of three Allen Iverson purple auto, and he was going crazy for it because he just loved the look of the card. He's a, he's a huge fan of AI, and I just thought that was like such a cool moment because that that's how it is for so many of us when we're going through boxes. Granted, we're not going through <laughs> twenty cases of flawless after after uh, hunting for Michael Jordans on on a, on a random Sunday night. Uh, but I just thought it was, I thought it was really great. Um, I'm really hyped for his involvement in this whole universe. And I, I think he needs to, he needs to rip some F1 next. He did some 2020 tops Chrome boxes last week, uh, on one of the, the breakers accounts. And I, I want him to grab a few cases of the F1 2020 dynasty and, and have some fun with it. Cause I'm, at this point, I'm getting a little bit of like a, like a flawless fatigue. There's been a lot of like high profile mm-hmm. flawless rips. So I, I think it would be wise to, to, to mix something else in and, and have some fun hunting for Lewis Hamilton. Ken Golden, if you're listening, there was a formal request right there. So <laughs> if you can make it happen. I'm personally yeah. bored by some of my Instagram breaks being too flawless heavy. So <laughs> You could, if you could do that, but, that'd be lovely. Yeah, thanks, but, Drake. But you're right. Like that's that that pure joy is something you can't fake. I think it's it's. I mean, shoot, the three of us opened a box of 2007 Bowman Chrome football last Friday here at the office, and I, I remember we were joking, Steve, when you brought that box in. We were we were talking about who was in the rookie class, and the number one pick is one of the biggest busts of all time, Jamarcus Russell. And we were just kind of saying, wouldn't it be crazy if our big hit out of this box is like a Jamarcus Russell? You auto. literally said you a gold it. Jamarcus gold. Russell. Did I actually you say actually that? called okay. it? Yeah, because that's what came out of the third pack of the box. <laughs> Beautiful card, but but terrible it, bust, and it's yeah. worth it's worth nothing. Yeah. But we are like so hyped over hey, that. But card. Can you find it? I mean, no, you can't find it on eBay. So hey, we eBay one of one right there. There you there go. Are, there are other gold Jamarcus Russell refractor rookies. That the average around twenty dollars. So, okay, not not terrible. We're gonna get it graded because I feel like we have to, and we're gonna display it in the office because like it's got some sentiment to it. And again, kind of like the the thing with Drake and Iverson, like that meant something to him. It's almost almost the best card we could have pulled out of the yes. box, just for 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 nostalgia reasons and mm-hmm. and, and everything else. So. Like like here's my question: If we pulled a Calvin Johnson gold, would you have been more or less kind of like hyped about it? 
well, I, would, I, would, I would be more hyped. Personally. I would be more hyped. Yeah. I'd be more hyped, but like also because you kind of called the shot on Jamarcus. That's and true. Jamarcus is such a punchline nowadays. It's like, of course we got Jamarcus. So. And you're a Raiders fan. But we were totally fun, so like, fine with it because it was awesome. It was just a fun moment. So. It's pristine, yeah. dude. It's perfectly it centered so and nice. crisp as can be. We'll have to put it up on an Instagram or something like that. Show it off. What's it funny comes is that, one last thing on the on the break. So I was I was having some anxiety watching that box be opened when they opened the first pack. Again, I have not watched a lot of this product get open, and the gum was like so stuck to the top card. I was like, please don't let the gum be stuck to a number fifty-seven Michael Jordan. No, no. Is Jordan ever on the top of those packs? On the back usually, and you know, I'm not sure. We'll have to get a. Some some insights in on that. I, I was, asked Steve Hart to come in, who who did the authentication okay. on the box. I was so fascinated by that because they like, for example, Drake Drake had done his homework. He knew the Clark Kellogg uh, note when he got Clark Kellogg in that pack. I didn't know that. You knew you knew that mm -hmm. that it's common that Clark Kellogg's card, if you got it, it got to it in a pack. There was probably going to be a Jordan not far behind. It's become such a sport now. Like breaking, and yeah. There, there's plenty of content online if you're really interested in the nuances of, of how the sequencing is out of, out of the packs. Like, there's so much content available online. If you're interested in it, just do a Google search to find it. Yeah. So we've got a lot more to dive into here. Um, you know, a little bit later in the show, we're going to be joined uh, for a PSA 10 segment by Ryan Hogue, the Chief Product Officer here at Collectors, who's going to be talking about the Collectors rebrand. Um, that you may have seen and heard a little bit about this week on social media um, and in some other spots. If you're not already, give us a follow on Twitter at Collectors, at Collectors Holdings on Instagram and Facebook. Um, there's going to be a lot. Yeah. So this is the parent coming company. on this front in the next few months. Yeah. yeah. This is if this is the parent company of, P, of PSA, of PCGS, of WADA. And it's really uh, collectors.com is the site. It really ties together all the brands in, in a new way. So I think Collectors. Overall, we'll have a lot more understanding and awareness of collectors as an entity moving forward because our product and tech teams are putting so much into it, as, as Ryan will discuss. Yeah, and if you follow us on social, uh, on the collector's end, you're going to start seeing how all of these brands kind of come together under this parent company. You have PSA, you have PCGS, WADA, Card Ladder, uh, etc. There's a lot of really fun stuff to come. We're not going to give it all away today, but over the course of the next couple months, there really will be. And now this was this was this has been so much fun the last couple of weeks so we're we're really enjoying sort of the hobby debate angle here among the three of us and we wanted to jump right back in this week because some of the best uh some of the best podcast conversation comes from just discussing what we want to talk on the podcast and ideas about you know topics in the hobby that we want to hit on and jack you had a really good one here and I am so excited to talk about this because, you know, we talk about the big names in the hobby and, and, and the big, you know, Steve, you talked about Patrick Mahomes. He's kind of like the king of the football hobby right now, the football corner of the hobby. But then, you know, we, we've talked on this show previously about the guys who are a little bit under the radar, but we can't really figure out why these are the, these are the fun ones to dive into. So today we want to talk about the, egregious cases of superstars without hobby love so jack where did this kind of thinking come from here yeah i mean what i love to do is ask 
friends who aren't in the hobby but are giant sports fans what they think of certain prices compared with different players because it's very very interesting to to hear those thoughts if they're a big fantasy football player big fantasy basketball player what do they think about these card prices and what like what doesn't make sense to them like i have a buddy he's a big basketball fan and he couldn't understand uh jalen brown prices felt like those were way too low uh bridges uh on the suns he's like a, a defensive He's he's out of his mind. He's, he's like Scotty Pippen 2.0 kind of. He just yeah. shuts down people. Like he thought he was he was way too low. So I was just kind of going through the different sports and seeing like what doesn't make sense to me. I'm deep in the hobby, but I'm also like a pretty passionate sports fan. Like what is there something I'm missing? Something that doesn't make sense? I went through football and it all seemed pretty fair to me. It all made a lot of sense to me. Travis Kelsey jumped out. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of cards, so the prices are a little more up and down than than other players. Uh, Basketball, Jalen Brown, I mentioned. Clay Thompson feels a little underappreciated in the in the hobby. Zach Levine, but baseball is where I I kind of stumbled on the the level of player that I feel like should be a hobby darling and and really isn't. Uh, Bo Bichette came to mind right away. Uh, I I honestly feel if he if he played in a big market or played really in any market that didn't have Vladdy Jr. on his team that he would be an absolute superstar. It doesn't make any sense to me why he's generally ignored by the public and, and, and the hobby in a lot of ways, too. Uh, Nolan Arenado came to mind, eight straight gold gloves. Uh, I, I think he's well on his way to a Hall of Fame career. Uh, but the person that makes the least amount of sense to me is the guy who is widely considered the no-brainer number one pick in fantasy baseball. And his prices are more or less the same as, as Kyle Lewis. Uh, Trey Turner. So Ooh. outside of Acuna, Soto, Harper, uh, there's a, a trio of, of Dodgers that Vegas has pegged to be uh, the best MVP odds in the NL. Okay. So it's Trey Turner, it's Mookie Betts, and it's Freddie Freeman. Uh, Trey Turner hit 28 home runs last year, stole 32 bases. He led baseball with a 328 batting average, led baseball with 195 hits, was fifth in MVP voting, and uh, his war last year was was 6.5 and to put that in perspective tatis was at 6.6 and the nl mvp bryce harper was at 5.9 this guy is a total stud he's going to be one of the leaders on one of the best teams in baseball in the middle of one of the best lineups that baseball has ever seen and you can get his refractor rookie for like 100 bucks and his year his rookie year 2016 not they didn't print a whole lot back then and the populations are all pretty low. Uh, there's not a lot of products. It doesn't make any sense to me. I, I have no idea why the hobby isn't in love with this guy. And he's still pretty young. Make me feel better about I opened a, a box of Top Series 1, and my hit was a Trey Turner a jersey swatch relic. And let's just say I was not very excited. But now I'm feeling a little better about it. i got to go find that. <laughs> Is I, it? No, go ahead. I, I was going to say, you've hit on a couple things here about like what the factors are that go into hobby love. And if, I think for me, there's three things that can really torpedo a guy's hobby love. It's, it's the market he plays in, it's the success of the team, and it's like any off-field stuff that might, he might do to blow up his career. Um, I've got a guy who's also in, in baseball. I really wanted to go Tiger Woods on this one because Tiger, I think, is a, is a great example of a guy who tried to blow himself up. But um, in the end, I think Tiger's going to be fine long run. Um, but the, the guy that comes to mind for me is also on the baseball side. He's a six-time All-Star, Gold Glove winner, 
He was one vote shy of a unanimous NL MVP award. He did win that MVP, of course. Uh, he also homered in seven straight game, uh, seven straight games. Only one of eight people to ever do that. But um, he plays in a small market. He doesn't have a ring or really any postseason extended success. And he's sitting here al- like racking my brain. He's he's also Canadian, so maybe that will get you a little closer. Um, he's also been in the league forever. I I didn't even realize he was still playing, but his, his name is Joey Votto, and he's a guy yeah. that has just consistently been uh, a producer when outside of a few stretches of injury. But um, I think another point here that I didn't factor in is just the production of the of, of his rookie card or early career card. So his first Bowman is 2002, but his first rookie card isn't until 2008. So he had a, a bit of a, a stretch between those two those two releases, and that's six years. You know, a lot can happen. People come in and out of the hobby. Um, he also only has three kind of 2002 uh, releases: Bowman Chrome, um, uh, Draft uh, Bowman Draft, and then Tops T206 or Tops 206, I should say. So he just doesn't have a ton of stuff. There's no autograph product for that 2002 stuff either. So he's he's. I'm curious if he'll be a Hall of Famer or not. I was just we'll going to ask, see. Hall of Famer or no? I, I don't 100%. know. Hundred percent. You think so? 100%. His numbers are incredible. Like, and, he, and he's just done it all under the radar. I think maybe one thing with his Q score, which is kind of just a fancy way of saying how popular he is, for uh, uh, lack of a better term, but it's like he's not—he's not a headline maker. He's not super exciting. He doesn't—he's not controversial, but he's also not too—you uh, know—in the press too much. So he's just kind of under the radar guy, consistent he's, and productive. He's a guy I've always felt bad for because he's been on some good teams in Cincinnati. And every time he's been on one of those good teams, they just like completely flounder in the postseason. Like, yeah. what was the year they the Giants won the World Series? I think it was 2012. They were up and two nothing. They were up two nothing yeah. going home, and they lost two home games. Yep. And then uh, a couple of years ago, they made it to the wild card round, and Trevor Bauer absolutely shut them down. Or no, he shut Atlanta down, except for I think I think it was like a one nothing game in Atlanta. That was when Bauer was in Cincinnati, and like they just couldn't hit the ball. They had this great offense all year. And all of a sudden it just fell apart. Like, and it stinks because a guy like that does kind of fall victim to that. You have to think. Yeah. Well, I said on a couple podcasts back, if Harold Baines gets in the hall of fame, Joe, Joey Votto deserves to be in the hall of fame. So uh, for me, he's one of those guys that just, I mean, you can get his, his Bowman Chrome draft, uh, 2002 first Bowman appearance, basically in PSA 10 for around 400 bucks, you know, not a ton of money for a guy who I think is, proven himself over the last decade plus to be a really reliable and, and productive player. What's great about Joey Votto rookie cards too from 2008 is that it's it's widely considered to be one of the best tops chrome designs ever. Mm-hmm. And I I I've actually been hunting for like a good quality copy of his rookie card. It's 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 harder to find than than you would think. So if if his market grows, if he does indeed make it to the Hall of Fame upon his retirement, it's going to be a lot harder to find his cards than they are right now. So if you're on the same same train as as Steve here and and, and myself, I I love Joey Votto. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of him. He's a great ball player. Now might be a good time to to jump on that before you can't. So you guys are going to leave it to me to bring it back to football, of course. I is what I'm gathering. No, I, my mind as a collector always tends to, when talking about guys who are undervalued, always tends to deviate back to football because it's you know the sport I just enjoy following the most. You know, <clears throat> we all know quarterbacks are king. And Steve, I was really thinking about this after this weekend when we, we went to Vegas on Saturday, we were at the Mint Collective and we were walking around kind of looking at dealer showcases and just seeing what was on display there. And 
I mean, you made the you made the comment like it seemed like every spread of football cards in a, in a showcase you were seeing Burrow, Mahomes, and Herbert. That's and it. Understandably, understandably so. There was for a, a, lot Brady, of a lot of Brady, too, a lot of Brady but, stuff. But, yeah. but but like they were the they were king. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about it. I'm like, we know quarterbacks are king. Like, what am I? Who am I missing here? That maybe like you look at these three guys, and you say, what is that guy missing that that guy isn't? And the name that kept coming back to me was Dak Prescott. And I was comparing Dak Prescott in my head to Justin Herbert. Like numbers wise, you look at what they've accomplished. Now, granted, Dak's had four more years of it. Mm-hmm. There's not that much of a difference in terms of just production. The guy plays for America's team, quote unquote. I know some people hate that term. Uh, they they earned it. It's I like mean. it's like the cowboy premium we talk about with the Yankees, right? Like if a Dak Prescott is literally one postseason run away from I think just absolutely exploding in the hobby. I wonder if it almost holds him back too, because I don't know. A weird diamond in a weird way that dynamic mm-hmm. might be limiting him in the sense that like he has to be compared to Aikman, yeah. or Staubach or other great uh, cowboys of the past. Where until he gets a ring. Um, I mean, it happened to Romo. Romo's another guy who, you know, had a, a good career, just never got over the hump. Yeah. He probably will be better known as an announcer by future generations. But, um, I, yeah, as much as the Cowboy Mystique probably helps Dak, I think it also probably holds him back. Because that's something, Jack, you hit on that about how, you know, like Tony Romo's stuff is massively underpriced. And, you know, Dak Prescott is also a few failed postseason runs away from probably being Tony Romo in the hobby long yeah. term. I've actually been picking up some some cheap, cool, uh, Tony Romo stuff, Topps Chrome, Bowman Chrome, really, really just kind of fun eBay buys, just a couple dollars here and there. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think he's going to be a, a broadcasting legend for, you know, the next generation. And, and uh, it's going to be fun to see with Dak Prescott. I, I personally think this Herbert is at a whole other level and just in terms of, As a player. of, of pure uh, skill and arm strength and, and just player. But for me, I look at Cowboys players and I, I always assume that they're overvalued mm-hmm. because there's so many Cowboys fans. Like, I, I love CeeDee Lamb. I would love to own some CeeDee Lamb cards. But every time I see his prices, I'm like, oh, there's a there's a little bit of like a Cowboys premium there. And I think what Steve was saying, he's totally right. It kind of hurts them more than it helps them in some ways. Because people that aren't in Cowboys culture just kind of run away from those players because they think everything is so crazy you look at like vegas and people that do a lot of sports gambling they never like to bet on the cowboys because the books are always tailoring it to cowboys fans it's the same thing with cards in a way i mean is there a more self-loathing franchise in nfl history than the dallas cowboys and their fans i mean they just love to to wall in the fact they haven't won a super bowl since 1996 and it's all jerry's fault and this and that and you know so i, I that definitely trickles into cards in my opinion they they Sure looked really authentically emotional when they collapsed. Uh, every time they were showing the Cowboy fan cutaways when they collapsed against the Niners this year. Hey, it's an oh. annual tradition, right? Much like the Masters. That's Cowboys a, not winning a Super Bowl. That's so. a bad annual tradition. I don't want any part of that. I'd rather my team just not be in the playoffs at that point. I mean, <laughs> I, I can't talk. My my team's no better recently. So mine isn't either. So <laughs> no, the the but but to bring it back to the cards with you know Prescott. You know, I know there was far less of 2016 Prism football produced than 2020 Prism football, for example. And you had the hobby boom in the midst of when 2020 Prism came out. But I'm, you know, just looking at a pop report, you know, Dak Prescott's base 
Prism, PSA 10 rookie. There's 1,220 copies. Justin Herbert's base Prism, PSA 10, there's 3,142 copies. So almost 3X, and they sell for basically the same price. And I, in my mind, I like Jack, I know you said you're not quite sold on Dak as a player. I get it. I, I might be a little higher on him than others, but there's just, I feel like the sample size, like just with what we've seen, I just, I don't know. I feel like Dak is. Well, you hit on it. The upside's there. If they do win the, a Super it's, Bowl. It's more an gets, upside play. He yeah. gets it immediately entered into a, a new echelon of Cowboys lore. And with that comes, you know, the desirability of his cards. Because, you know, look at Joe Burrow before the, the Super Bowl. You know, his prices weren't necessarily. I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly. I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants here. But I feel like his that, that Super Bowl run just made him completely leapfrog Herbert. And it had, in terms of prices on the market, and it hasn't really died down all that much since. So it really shows the power of just that one big postseason run. Just have to get it all together. <laughs> That's all it takes, right? Yeah. No, you're right. And so, kind of moving along here, you know, where we're talking about individual, you know, athletes who are maybe a little underlooked, uh, under you know, under the radar in the hobby. We were, you know, this on Friday when we were talking about the show kind of spun another discussion of card categories that not only are not are under the radar, but don't maybe don't even exist because we're seeing so much here in the last few weeks uh, in the hobby. You know, we talked a little bit about the new Zero Cool um, products. That not, started this isn't sponsored this. by Zero Cool, by the way. No, this is but, just a conversation. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> no, this was, but, but. It, it sparks conversation, right? These are these are things that are happening in the hobby, and it got us talking about what are some categories, maybe without a card presence, at this point that could really have an impact in the hobby moving forward. So, who wants to take the first crack here? I'll take it from here. Uh, I, I'm I'm fascinated by by Zero Cool, and I'm I'm pretty impressed with everything they've done so far in terms of transparency, in terms of the. Uh, I think it's a called like the reverse Dutch auction that they launched yeah. and uh, they launched their, their first product uh, with V friends, which is Gary Vanderchuk's NFT thing. And they plan to kind of build this brand around entertainment uh, and arts and just, just non sports categories. And it really had me thinking like what other categories are there and what other categories would, would grow the hobby and bring in new people that aren't already a diehard sports fan. And the thing that my mind kept on going back to is fine art. $50 billion hmm. industry. You have a lot of hardcore, highly dedicated, highly educated, highly obsessed fine art collectors out there. And how could you get them involved into the, the trading card scene? It's probably not prism color blast as beautiful as those cards are. So I was thinking, how do you... How do you make something compelling for for that demo? The people that are are going to Art Basel and 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 dropping serious checks on on various pieces of contemporary art. Uh, so I'm thinking, I'm imagining like a uh, like a flawless briefcase that has a handful of in case cards, and you could do things, for instance, like um, like you you commission a, a piece from an artist and you cut it, you cut the the one single piece into multiple. Uh, trading card sizes that look just like a kind of like an abstract piece of art 
on the back. You can have the artist's signature. You can have details about the piece. Uh, it can have a smaller picture of what the entire thing looks like. Mm. And it's each piece is like a one of one. So you get this kind of like a, almost like, do you want to collect them all? Like how many pieces of, of this art piece do you have? Uh, and then you could even have like card size um, pieces of art that the artist creates the entire piece in, in the card size. Um, and just do a bunch of like really fun stuff. So you can, you can have like the big, the big uh, chase names will be like the really established artist. And you can have the up and comers literally have rookie cards in this art set. Mm. Uh, so if they become something and all these fine arts people, they, they like to prospect more than the people that are obsessed with Bowman Chrome. That's true. Like, like in a big way. Uh, and you'll have these artists that will just skyrocket in price because a, a few people start getting really into it and some curators uh, start hyping it and some art magazines get, get really like plugged in on this, this single artist and they love to prospect. And this will allow that world to prospect on artists and combine them with the thrill of, of opening a box and it being a, a mystery and a surprise. And I, to me, art collecting and card collecting I think this is like a, a really cool hybrid that I, I would personally like like to see. They're kind of becoming one and the same in a lot of ways. Yeah, in some ways, but uh, in I, I mean, I truly believe that cards are art and that's that's one yes. of the reasons that yeah. I gravitate towards them, but they're not art in the, the traditional sense that you would, I mean, as much as I would like to have, like the second you walk in my home, you just see nothing but like a, like a, like a beautiful, like Michael Jordan, 1985 Nike, just in a huge frame. I would, I would love that personally, but my wife probably wouldn't. And I think this is something that brings uh, sort of the uh, thrill and excitement of collecting cards mixed with like the, like the sophistication of like fine art collecting and, in a way that could be really, really uh, fun and interesting. I think the card world can probably learn a lot from the art world in terms of like how they do galleries and how they do shows. And to me, there's just like a lot of synergy there. It's interesting you say that because, Steve, we saw the uh, Michael Jordan 86 Fleer artwork this weekend at the Mint Collective with the Marilyn Monroe uh, yeah. image behind it, like kind of in the Got Laurel stuff. Yeah. And I, I, showed a, I showed a picture of that to my girlfriend, and she goes, that we could hang in the house. Right. Like that you could hang in the house. So that, Question for you, Jack. Yeah. Are you saying that you would commission an artist and then cut up the piece or yeah. they would do different pieces? Okay, that's, so that's part like of a, the art, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like nameplate. Creates play, the chase. You, like putting yeah. things back together. Basically. Yeah, so you, yeah, so that could be one thing. Um, or it can be like literally a single card that they do individual one-of-one -one art pieces mm. on a card size um, thing. So it's like a little mini piece of art. Yeah, so that's where we have to work with the business side to get PSA to grade those because we still don't grade sketch cards due to issues with counterfeiting because people can... Uh, adjust the artwork mm -hmm. at post-production so yeah um, but but you get like the zero cool holographic on the back or yeah. whatever they would do well, yeah, to, there's a checklist to uh that. to uh you know make so, this happen so that's a billion dollar idea and we just gave it away for free i hope we're, we're hope very generous. Generous. Yeah, we set off the top steve this is a this podcast is going to give value to the collectors there you we, go. Weren't, we weren't lying no, at the Minton Collective, Josh Luber from Zero Cool gave the opening keynote, which we caught, which was really a great speech, along with you know Peyton Manning and others yeah. that, uh, up there on the on the dais. But um, I was really excited for for them uh, releasing this Jackass set. Mm -hmm. So the the V Friends ones felt like a kind of a starter, um, and it was obviously well received. The clearing price was really strong. Josh said during his keynote that this Jackass release is going to have sixty thousand. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, sixty cards per box and and 10,000 boxes. So they're they're ramping this up yeah. versus the 1,000 total boxes they produce for the V-Friends. So I think they're 
they've tested the concept they're ready to go and i'm personally pretty excited for the jackass uh release something that i remember fondly from yeah, my college days it. watching it and they had some cards on display at the tops and zero cool booth which were really cool um it just looked like awesome trading cards. So mm-hmm. not only that, the packaging, like the packaging yeah. had like the skull and crossbones, like 3D kind of raised a dimensionality to it. So the, they're looking at the packaging being, as being collectible, which and I thought was really cool. They're making parallels of it. I believe yeah. he said yeah. they're going to, you know, and I, I, I think that's an incredible way of just kind of taking it another step, making the packaging as, I mean, how many empty card boxes do you save? Right, exactly. Um, it's it's part of it. Even they talked at the Drake break there. Yeah. Like, what are you guys doing with the packs and the uh exactly the exactly? Um, so I'm also gonna take inspiration from from the Zero Cool presentation at the Mint Collective, um, where they talked a lot about getting new people into the hobby. Obviously, you know, the hobby is um, you know, predominantly dominated by sports fans, what other categories out there, but also like kids specifically. They've mm-hmm. talked about some ways to attract kids into the hobby by using trading cards to teach things like math and business principles. Um, for me, anytime I bring a box of cards home, and I'm, I'm the father of two kids under 10, uh, two daughters, I should say, who, who could care less about sports, anytime I try to put it on a basketball game, it became becomes like a, a major household event, and remotes are thrown and hidden and everything else in between. But anytime I bring a box of cards home, it's it's they love it. They, they want to open the box. They want to sort the cards. They want to ask dad, is this a good one or not? They also have similar themes inside of other toys that they they buy, like LOL dolls, for example, have mm. checklists. They have rarity scales, scales where they'll tell you whether the figurine you pulled out of the blind package is common or rare or ultra rare. These themes exist in kids' toys, so there should be a stronger presence in trading cards for kids' properties. Much like we were introduced to um, to television series like G.I. Joe through through. Uh, consumer packaged goods and and figurines and things like that they could do that with kids tv shows so like take for example i would i would want to see teen titan goes teen titan go um card packs i want to see bunked autographs from peyton and miranda from the show my kids would flip over it they'd set the basis and foundation for them to eventually become collectors uh, of cards in other genres not just you know kids shows so it's like a starter area right yeah. it's what they're interested in the moment it's what they always want to be watching on their screens but take them off the screen put the put the cards in front of them it becomes uh, a non-digital experience and sets them up for you know hopefully a lifetime of collecting cards i like that my you know kind of in that same vein with you because you know i i, I think about things that are that you know, the reason I love collecting football cards is because I love, I love watching football, right? So I want to see there be more, I want to see there be more available in that, in that pop culture vein, but not necessarily, I know there's a lot of talk about like musicians. I think about like, what if, what if something like, again, I don't know how the licensing of all this works, but this is just me spitballing ideas, but Netflix, Netflix is so fascinating to me because you'll have a show like look at look at Squid Game last year. That was all anybody was talking about for like a good six to eight weeks in the fall of last year. And then it's now it's just on to the next thing because the next series comes and the whole the whole season drops and that's what people are watching. Like what if there's a way to have like a real time on demand type of product that centers around you know, I think in the vein of like a tops yeah, now during a baseball season, born, but like, yeah, watches of, of the wardrobes and 
autographs from the cast. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I, and I was thinking about this last week because uh, we posted on our Instagram account a couple of just graded um, autograph cards from Rick and Morty. And it was signed by the voice actors. Um, it, it was wildly popular. And you can just see that there, you, you know, I know we've, we've hit on this before, but like the market is out there. Prism Love is Blind. <laughs> <laughs> what's the, what's the new one coming out? Uh, Ultimatum. Like there's, you could totally, right? Maybe. Maybe. I, I, I do like the idea of like, like Topps Chrome Disney. Yes. But I, mm -hmm. To me personally, I think a lot of these Netflix properties aren't like iconic enough to sort no. of be like deserving of car. Even even like big sensations like Squid Game. But, but what maybe, about like Showtime though? Like they had a store in the MGM. Yeah, they had a physical retail store where they're selling gear from all their different properties. Yeah. Like why not just add cards into that? I would love mm -hmm. to have the succession cards or you know anything yeah. from that cast. It's I mean there's Reddit threads. There's everything available for this for this platform why not have trading cards as part of it and know. and that's kind of why like the, the tier to, it, i don't know if this is something that there's enough of a market for but i feel like it'd be cool to test it out and see on an on-demand basis like like could you create cards for an episode of squid game as it debuts and if it catches on like wildfire you know people buy a ton of the cards if not people only buy a few of them and then if the show picks up steam later on those are rare yeah i think I think what a lot of these pop culture cards are missing right now is the designs and the, the products mm -hmm. they're in themselves just don't really feel premium. I've been hunting for like James Bond cards. I just, I'm a big Ooh. James Bond fan. And I was like looking at some like the Rittenhouse stuff and, and some of the others. There's some like 3D cards that were kind of neat to me, but overall I just wasn't really impressed with like the product design and the art themselves. But if you get like a Topps Chrome or a Prism or like Flawless, which we keep on mentioning, like if there was like a like a flawless James Bond with a, like a Pierce Brosnan auto, like an iconic photo of him, that that thing is sweet. Like that that that's as 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 cool as it gets. Uh, but if it's like you know this like uh, wimpy paper stock and it's like a very lazily done design, mm. that's less interesting. But maybe that just is more about who I am as a collector and like what I'm interested in than like what the market is. But I think that's the the problem so far with a lot of this pop culture stuff, even the speaking of netflix stranger things did some yeah. type of card set um i don't know eight years ago now mm -hmm. the show's been on for a while which is crazy yeah. it makes me feel old um but that that was there I, I know that there are some collectors that are you know that they have a, a few sealed boxes they have up up in their near closet shelves or, or cabinet shelves but I, that product hasn't really taken off or hasn't really drawn like a ton of interest and i, I really think it comes down to it's not tied to a product that people that are already in the hobby like already love what's a james bond relic that you would be like super psyched to pull in a flawless type of product like a like a bulletproof vest uh wardrobe piece or something i feel like that's where you steve you hit on that's where you could really have some fun we just had the it just sold at golden uh i believe we just we just recently graded there was a one of one justin bieber uh relic auto from i want to say 20 13 or 14 and it had a piece of a leather jacket like there's so much I, I feel like there's such a an opportunity there on the on the pop culture and celebrity side for like relics yeah i uh i agree i want like a, a chopped up golden glove or i'm sorry golden gun not golden glove right uh that would be <laughs> kind of fun or like uh i think game gaming too i think there's a there's mm. a really interesting connection with a lot of the stuff going on with uh 
with with various games. Fortnite cards have mm-hmm. have sort of become a thing, but I think there's there's ways to like make things go deeper. Um, what first what what doesn't make sense to me is that like these Panini Fortnite cards. Why is there not like cosmetics that you can actually unlock via the cards? Like a, almost like a an auto redemption, but it's like a it's like a skin redemption or a glider or a pickaxe <laughs> or whatever you use in the game, right? I feel like I feel like there's a so much opportunity, and I'm excited for a company that, that seems like pretty forward thinking, like Zero Cool, to to dive in and have some fun with the stuff. I think the question is like, what is the balance between demand and producing a complete product? Like, yeah. It, 2011 Tops American Pie has a Kanye and Taylor Swift moment. It's it's basically just it's not enough for a standalone product, more of like insert based stuff where you know you have to kind of like Axl Rose uh, isn't in Tops Heritage. Um, uh, with Alan and Ginter, uh, Alan Ginter, but yeah. there's another Tops it's in as well, um, and I'm blanking on the name, but like it's not enough for a full release. Um, We'll have to see if there's enough like great marketing from Zero Cool, which I'm sure they do a great job at, mm-hmm. or just to just to get a, more awareness around it. But I, I think it is like those products are marketed more to, to hobbyists, to trading card collectors, whereas I'm sure they're going to take approach that's much more mass market and get you know. You brought up like an interesting TV shows. Cryptozoic released a, a a series around Outlander, which is a a TV show, and very very passionate fan base. And those cards are incredibly popular mm-hmm. for the Outlander community. Um, but to, you know, the three of us at this table, not really interested too much in Outlander and probably had never even heard of it, but shout out to my mother-in-law, <laughs> giant Outlander fan. <laughs> exactly. Never so, seen an episode. Like I should buy her yeah, those cards. I, I swear she would be so excited. She'd finally understand what I do for a living. She would finally <laughs> understand my passion for well, this stuff. Be, be prepared to, to spend a couple hundred dollars on, on some of it because it, it does, you know, shoot up. So, um. I'm really curious to see where Zero Cool takes all this. Got to get that Claire RPA. <laughs> there really is something for everybody. Like this is, and this is just a further proof of it. You know, I, I mentioned, you know, my girlfriend isn't into cards, but like there's, you know, certain athletes who have popped up in, you know, other, like be it shows that we watch and that's how it hooks, hooks her in. So like you said, this, this is a way to... <laughs> Yeah, use I the, mean, use the Outlander released. Yeah, I mean, my uh, my 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 wife has gotten really into Formula One thanks yeah. to thanks to Drive to Survive, and she's been really into the Formula One cards and opening packs and like mm-hmm. seeing oh like like show me what drivers you have because she watches the show. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have much interest in basketball and football and baseball, but this Yet. she she's really into, and it's been really fun to to have those experiences, and I think that can extend across all types of non sports. Uh, or, or non-traditional sports and uh, just, you know, all the different card possibilities there. Well, no, no, 2013 Tops Archives. Ah, okay. And obviously Succession is on HBO, not Showtime. All right. You were confusing it with Billions because <laughs> they're basically the same show. I know. To a, to a degree. <laughs> People are going to be mad at you for saying uh, that. Uh, I can't believe I just said that because I'm a massive Succession fan. I promise I didn't mean to. <laughs> well, we could go down this rabbit hole all day and we want to keep these topics coming. So look, we come up with uh, some of these topics to hit on each week, but if there are any of these discussions you want to have us, you want to hear us uh, dig deeper in on the show, you know, tweet at us at PSA card. Uh, we want to hear them because, you know, we want to, we want to be talking about what you want to hear about. And speaking of touching on things that collectors of all kind can get into. Once again, we uh, are joined this week the PSA 10 segment by collector's chief product officer, Ryan Hogue, who came on the show to talk about the rebrand of the parent company 
collectors talking about the end-to-end -end experience for all collectors that is currently in development. And this rebrand is just a part of that uh, entire process is taking place in 2022 here at the company. So without any further ado, here's our PSA 10 conversation with Collector's Chief Product Officer, Ryan Hogue. Ryan, thank you for taking the time to join us here on the PSA pod. Ryan joined the company last year from Microsoft and has put a lot of fun new things into play, some of, that, some of which we are going to get to discuss today. So once again, Ryan, thanks for uh, taking the time for us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, uh, Ryan and Steve. Really looking forward to the conversation. Well, as is uh, now tradition with the PSA 10 segment, before we get into the business talk and the, the nuts and bolts, we got to talk collecting. Um, we like to have our guests introduce themselves to our listeners as collectors. So let's talk about your collecting, uh, your collecting story. Uh, what is it you collect? How, when did you start and what are you collecting to this day? Yeah, um, like, like, like many folks, I share a, a similar heritage and I guess pedigree on my collecting uh, path and journey. I got into collecting in the late 80s when I was, uh, when I was a kid, continued into the early 90s, um, was really focused mostly on baseball, um, collected when I played. I actually started with Garbage Pail Kids, believe it or not. That was probably the first set of packs that I ever bought were some of the Garbage Pail kids i think I, I bought some third series and fourth series i was a little too late to ever get in on the first series um and then kind of lost interest a little bit as i got into high school rediscovered it uh again in college when ebay was was kind of getting going at full full bore um i actually graded some of my first psa cards uh in the in the 1999-2000 uh time frame when I went back and I found my collection and, and submitted them, and I still have some of those in my collection today, like my 1986 Donruss Jose Canseco that graded a PSA 8 and my 89 Griffey Jr. Upper Deck, the PSA 9. Um, and then, and then I, I pretty good grades for your childhood pause. stuff, I'd say. Uh, yeah, that's what I, yeah, I got lots no, of fours and fives in my, <laughs> my childhood. You know stuff. what? I actually, I actually graded, I have the 87 Tops Barry Bonds degraded a PSA 10 from my childhood collection nice. too. So I, 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 mean, I took care of my stuff. I'm a meticulous collector. I like to see that. That's and yeah. you got the, and you got those, yeah. you got the, I'm a fan personally of the old labels. I think when you got those original old labels, I think that's a pretty cool look, especially on older cards. That's, oh, that's they're pretty fun. nice. Yeah, they're fun. Um, and then I took another break again, as I kind of started my work, work career. And then um, I got back into collecting hardcore uh, right after my oldest daughter was born, uh, and that was, uh, and she's turning 11 uh, this weekend. So that that tells you how long I've been back back in it. And so the stuff I collect today, it kind of runs the gamut. I am mostly a vintage baseball collector. That's where my my passion is. I have a, a Hall of Fame rookie set that I collect actively on the set registry. I'm also doing a basic tops run of Hank Aaron and yes. uh, and Willie Mays that I'm working on and. Uh, few years ago, I had completed and then since sold off a 1975 top mini set where I ended up getting, I think, in the top 10 uh, before I retired the set and, and nice. split it up and sold it. So, um, so yeah, I jump around with my collecting interests, do a little bit of modern, but, but vintage baseball is always the center of gravity for me. You, uh, you come to this company with some chops as a collector. Oh, I, I mean, that's what, when I tell people this is a dream job for me, it really is. I mean, I, I had known Nat for a few years and we started talking about me coming and joining the company. It was it was this perfect marriage of what I've been doing for 18 years in my career, building 
building software products and, and technology solutions combined with what I enjoy spending my free time doing anyway, which is collecting and obsessing over uh, the latest chase or pursuit. Um, and so I'm, I've been having a blast these, these first seven months. Well, it's great to hear it's a dream job because I think a lot of people listening would agree that it has to be one of the coolest jobs in the hobby to be the chief product officer for collectors uh, universe. But on that front, we're here to talk about product. You're a chief product officer. We have some news uh, this week. Our parent company now has a new name, has a new brand identity, a new website. So Ryan, if you can, can you just dive right in and kind of give us the scoop on what's going on with all these changes? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's been kind of an interesting journey that we've gone on. And so I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give a little bit of the history and then, and then talk about kind of why we, we went down this path that, we, uh, that we're on now. So Collector's Universe actually has a long storied history dating back to 1986, uh, originally starting as a coin uh, grading company operating PCGS, expanded into cards. Uh, with PSA in 1991, and um, it was really kind of the centerpiece of this new corporate structure that was created um, early last year to take Collector's Universe private. But since that time, there's been multiple other acquisitions um, that uh, that kind of expand that ecosystem. There was the acquisition of WADA to expand into the video game uh, grading category. There was an acquisition of Genement to provide computer vision ML tech to help with uh, grading and uh, card identification. There was an acquisition of Golden Auctions to expand into the marketplace category. And there was also the acquisition of Card Ladder. So we really expanded the coverage of what the company was doing. And But what was at its core was this focus on providing end-to-end solutions for collectors. Everything from research, learning, uh, educating themselves around the hobby, different segments, different categories, to grading, authenticating, to uh, managing collections, to valuing collections, to buying and selling collectibles. Uh, we wanted to provide this experience that ran the gamut uh, of every part of that kind of collecting life cycle. And, but really at its core, we're about collectors. And we felt like it was an opportune time to, to introduce this new name, with a new brand that felt uh, forward-looking, but also kind of had the the roots in the in the tradition and history of where the company had been, and uh, and we've we've opted to just go with the the simple term collectors is the name of our company. Nice and clean. And you know, with the name change, explain a little bit about the process of rebranding a company because it's not you know it's not it's never as easy as people think. Uh, you know. Most are accustomed to seeing PSA, PCGS, WADA out front as main brands that are standing alone. Um, how does the collector's brand fit in moving forward in your vision? And, you know, in what ways could customers expect to see it act as an active brand for bringing all those entities together kind of under one umbrella moving forward? Yeah, the, the journey was interesting. I mean, again, when you have, when you have companies that have the history that they do, um, there's a lot that you want to draw on from that, from that, uh, lineage and carry it forward while also putting kind of a new, a new take on it and, uh, and, and having it stand for something that's future looking. It, it can't be all historical, uh, historical. And so we actually did a lot of listening tours. There were interviews with various, uh, folks across the company. Um, we did lots of exercises to kind of go through and, 
and, and work through kind of the values and, and creating a new mission statement for the company, really what we stand for. And, uh, and that journey started last summer. So it took many months to kind of work through. And then there was obviously the creative aspect. Once you kind of get the words out about how you want to describe what you're all about um, and, and who you're trying to provide solutions for, uh, then you get the creative side and you create a, a look and, and, and a way to represent um, the company and the brand. And so that took many months to work through that process. Um, and the other thing that we have going for us too, we actually have very strong brands already. Like you mentioned, PSA, PCGS, WADA, these are very strong brands that have recognition in their respective categories in the marketplace. And so we're not moving away from those brands, but we felt like there was an opportunity to create a little bit more of this kind of umbrella notion where folks can go to collectors.com. They can learn more about the company. They could learn about the different services that we offer from grading and authentication to research to marketplace and be able to use collectors as a jumping off point to get to those destinations. And the other angle that we had here um, is we wanted to make the company uh, more appealing and forward looking from a, from a tech perspective. As, as, as many folks know, um, the kind of tech hiring marketplace uh, is very competitive right now. There's a lot of competition to bring in the best engineering talent. And we have grand ambitions for the, for the types of experiences and capabilities we want to enable for, for our customers. And we wanted to put out a, a brand that shows that we, uh, that we are tech focused and uh, paints an accurate picture of what the company actually stands for and, uh, and the grand ambitions that we have moving forward. I'm glad you brought up that recruitment piece, Ryan. You're actually calling in from our Seattle office. Real quick, do not send cards to Seattle people out there. But you can talk about the fact that you have a, a, a base up there in the Pacific Northwest to, to try to recruit tech talent. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, please don't send your cards. There's some of us here that think we're graders, but we're not. If you, if, if you send them here, they're going to get lost. Um, <laughs> yeah, with my, with my 15 years at Microsoft, uh, obviously I have a pretty strong network up here in the Pacific Northwest as far as folks that I've worked with at Microsoft that have gone on to do different things. Um, we've actually hired several folks across different disciplines from other leading tech companies up here. So we have several people that we brought on from Amazon, other folks from Microsoft have joined. We've had people from Zillow and from OfferUp and other leading uh, tech companies that are based in the Seattle area. And so just with that, that kind of natural uh, kind of network connections that we have, we continue to expand. We're now over 10 people out of our Seattle office. We're looking to add probably another 20 to 25 this year. And uh, we just opened up an office right downtown, uh, kind of in the heart of, of Amazon's district. Um, and so when we go out to lunch and, and pop around, we see lots of Amazon badges. But, uh, but it's fun to have, have an office here uh, in the city um, that gives people a great place to, to kind of collaborate together when they want to work in person. We obviously, like, like most companies, are, are embracing kind of a hybrid and remote work environment. So uh, I'm in the office probably about three days a week, and we have other folks that are in here every day. Uh, they, they really enjoy coming in, and others that maybe come in one day a week. But it is kind of nice to have that 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 space where we can all get together and get the creative juices flowing when we're when we're uh, working together to to come up with new plans and solutions for customers. Yeah, and we've you know we've talked a little bit about Collectors.com here, and and you know there's going to be a lot of exciting things coming forward. Let's just talk about really cool, really quickly how cool it is having that. URL that, you know, the company's had 
for a long time, just collectors.com. And Steve, you can, you can also hint, you know, elaborate on that a little bit as we've had this and it's been more of a search aggregator for years. Um, it, I feel like that's a nice little hook. Totally. If you notice, you email anyone at the company, it's at collectors.com. Yeah. And there's been a disconnect, I think, until today, now that we have this website up as to how it all fits together. Ryan, can you talk a little bit about the value of the URL and how you see it moving forward? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing that we actually have this URL. Um, it, it's, a, it's a great name. It's, it's you know, it, it's why we, uh, you know, pick, pick the name of the company is because we're, we're, we're collectors. We're obsessed about providing amazing services and capabilities uh, to collectors, and um, and we felt like we could do more with this with this uh, this domain, and so that's why we're repurposing it to be really the 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 kind of central dashboard for both our kind of company landing page and corporate website, uh, as well as this jumping off off uh, point to all the other parts of the collector's ecosystem, and so uh, the the kind of legacy search experience that was there previously for folks that went to collectors.com. You can still get there. There's a link to it from within the new collectors.com uh, site if you go into, under the marketplace link. Um, but we've repurposed that main landing page to be kind of front and center about the new company and the new brand and everything that we stand for. And so, yeah, Steve and Ryan are right. When you're, when you're emailing people um, at, the, at the company, it's not at psacard.com. It's at collectors.com. Well, that was a great overview of the new brand and the website, Ryan, both on the recruiting front, of course, which is important to us as we grow the company, but also as the story as to what we're building here. So appreciate you do, taking the time to go over that with us. There's some big things being set up uh, for, for collectors overall, the company overall, and, and the brand. So thank you for, for coming on and discussing it today. We hope to have you on again, too, to talk about some new products as they roll out. So and until then, uh, keep keep those collecting ambitions high. It seems like you got you got some high goals there. Yeah, thanks, Steve and Ryan. Uh, happy to join anytime. Steve, the, the my biggest takeaway from that conversation was just really the end-to-end experience for collectors that's being developed here uh, within the company as a whole. And, you know, kind of the you can see how the pieces all fit with these acquisitions that have happened over the last year plus and how everything kind of fits together. Yeah, it's really mindful strategy to acquire complementary businesses. So... Whether the, the it's the acquisition of Collectors Universe, which included grading services like PSA and PCGS and PSA DNA, um, or acquisition of WADA on the video game space, which is another vertical to add to that. You have Golden on the marketplace side of things and Card Ladder on the valuation side. Um, all these things will stack together and create an end-to-end customer experience, and that's what Ryan is working on. He's built an incredible team from amazing companies. I mean, we look at the roster of companies that Collectors has, hold, uh, has hired from, and it's mm-hmm. quite impressive. I mean, companies, Microsoft, Amazon, Slack, um, the list just goes on and on in terms of proven tech companies that we're, we're drawing from to build this experience. So it's great to see Ryan's doing a great job, as well as, well as Dan Van Tran, our chief tech officer. So it's really where the future of this company lies is, is product and tech. And it's just going to keep uh, it's just going to keep growing here throughout 2022, and you're going to keep seeing this, these developments very much out in front as they're unveiled. So. Yeah, it's just going to be a seamless experience. I mean, I think most customers listening to this podcast are probably used to using PSACard.com for their registry, for their submissions, for all of that. Collectors.com is going to become more and more useful to to hobbyists, and we'll really will be woven into the experience with PSACard.com. So. 
Um, exciting things like single sign-on are coming where if you have an account with PSA, you will also have it with collectors. And this just makes it so much easier when you're, you're navigating from site to site and trying to have a seamless experience. Citing things ahead. And as always, we want to close the show with our mailbag segment. And this is a question, Steve, that we have gotten pretty regularly um, in the past few weeks because I think there's been some customer confusion on this side. It's about complete through dates uh, at psa.card.com. So what is kind of going on on that end? Because I think this is going to be something very valuable for, um, we've had several listeners ask about this. I think there's a very clear way to address this. Yeah, so the future of complete through dates is going to be changing here coming up in April. We're going to be shifting away from complete through dates for all active service levels and going back to turnaround times. Mm -hmm. And this is because of the reliability of our operation. As we've added more scale and capacity, we've been able to better predict turnaround times at those available service levels. So when I say available, I'm mostly talking about economy, regular, express, super express, walkthrough, premium. We don't need complete through dates for those because we're really just humming and we're getting stuff in and out because we're limiting our capacity in those service levels to a very small batch as we work through the backlog on the value side of things. Now value will continue to have complete through dates. and so. Customers who have value submissions, which is currently a suspended service level, should continue to use complete through dates to track where they're where they are in the queue, so to speak, of of the backlog. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's 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 an evolution with everything. So, you know, looking at uh, a company goal of keeping all new orders in under ninety days, um, you'll see our turnaround times reflect that. And for the time being, economy will be at ninety days uh, or less. But as you if you're Follow us on Twitter. You can see quite a few people tag us in posts where they say, oh, I got my economy submission back in 45 days, door to door, or or 50 days. I mean, it's it's going much faster than, than the posted turnaround time. And we are loving seeing those. And again, if you follow us on Twitter at PSA card, you're going to see us sharing a lot of those because we really love seeing happy customers getting cards back uh, in an expedited manner or a manner, like you said, within that 90 day window and, and just delivering. So. Yeah. Things are, things are, the operation has really taken uh, a huge step forward in terms of its ability to process new submissions based on the fact that we're operating basically parallel lanes. And we talked about it in a previous podcast mm -hmm. regarding you know economy orders being handled in a different way than value orders. But again, we're still committing, and Kevin Lenane at his panel uh, at the Mint Collective spoke to it, but we're, we always say 80% on on. on podcast is kind of the conservative number but in reality it's more like 85 percent as kevin noted at the mint collective um is is dedicated to the backlog so that's a big number overall in our capacity uh, if you've got any other questions for us here at psa that you want to address on the pod tweet us at psa card as per usual jack steve any uh parting shots this week i'm just i'm just waiting for the nba jam arcade machine It'll we've got the spate we've got the Amazon free two-day shipping. I guess we'll, it'll be here by the next recording. Company card, right? <laughs> I hope this Nat is isn't why, listening. This is why we have them. <laughs> I actually think Nat would probably be in here playing it more than just about anybody. You may be right about that, actually. Yeah. All right. Well, for Jack, for Steve, I'm Ryan. We will talk to you again next week when we are back here on the PSA pod. Thanks for listening. Cheers, guys.